Good morning. Today is Tuesday, the 23rd of July, 2019. Our readings for this morning are Psalm 45, 1 Samuel 25, 1 through 22, Acts 14, 1 through 18, and Mark 4, 21 through 34. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Let us confess our sins to God. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, let our mouth proclaim your praise and your glory all the day long. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. The Holy One is in our midst. O come, let us worship. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise to the Lord a shout with psalms. For you are a great God. You are great above all gods. In your hand are the caverns of the earth, and the heights of the hills are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before the Lord our Maker. For you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Oh, that today we would hearken to your voice. The Holy One is in our midst. Oh, come, let us worship. Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a goodly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your glory and majesty. In your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and to defend the right. Let your right hand teach you dread deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. 
Hear, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will send your face, will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people with all kinds of wealth. The princess is decked in her chamber with gold woven robes, and many colored robes she has led to the king. Behind her the virgins, her companions, follow. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In the place of ancestors you, O king, shall have sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be celebrated in all generations. Therefore the peoples will praise you forever and ever. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 1 through 22. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David got up and went down to the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon whose property was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was clever and beautiful, but the man was surly and mean. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Thus you shall salute him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your sight, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have butchered from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every one of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about four hundred men went up after David, while two hundred remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he shouted insults at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we never missed anything when we were in the fields as long as, they were, as, long as we were with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for evil has been decided against our master and against all his house. He is so ill-natured that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves, two skins of wine, 
five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. She loaded them on, her, on donkeys and said to her young men, Go on ahead of me, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, David and his men came toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely it was in vain that I protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, but he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle B, a song of pilgrimage. Before I ventured forth, even while I was very young, I sought wisdom openly in my prayer. In the forecourts of the temple I asked for her, and I will seek her to the end. From first blossom to early fruit, she has been the delight of my heart. My foot has kept firmly to the true path. Diligently from my youth have I pursued her. I inclined my ear a little and received her. I found for myself much wisdom and became adept in her. To the one who gives me wisdom will I give glory, for I have resolved to live according to her way. From the beginning I gained courage from her. Therefore, I will not be forsaken. In my inmost being, I have been stirred to seek her. Therefore, have I gained a good possession. As my reward, the Almighty has given me the gift of language, and with it will I offer praise to God. A reading from Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. The same thing occurred in Iconium where Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through them. But the residents of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, the apostles learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued proclaiming the good news. In Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. 
he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations she allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet she has not left herself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words they scarcely restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle M, A Song of Faith Blessed be the God and Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. By divine mercy we have a new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have an inheritance that is imperishable in heaven. The ransom that was paid to free us was not paid in silver or gold, but in the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without spot or stain. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that we might have faith and hope in God. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket, or under the bed, and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have, nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground, and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's affirm our faith together with the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God, the Mother Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Mother, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear our cry, O God, and listen to our prayer. Let us pray. We're going to use the regular suffrages for use in morning prayer. Um, we will pray a healing collect, but um, today I'm going to show you that morning prayer can be done efficiently. <laughs> I don't often do it this way, but... Help us, O God, our Savior. Deliver us and forgive us our sins. Look upon your congregation. Give to your people the blessing of peace. Declare your glory among the nations and your wonders among all peoples. Do not let the oppressed be shamed and turned away. Never forget the lives of your poor. Continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your favor to those who are true of heart. Satisfy us by your loving kindness in the morning. So shall we rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. Compassionate God, you so loved the world that you sent us Jesus to bear our infirmities and afflictions. Through acts of healing, he revealed you as the true source of health and salvation. For the sake of your Christ, who suffered and died for us, conquered death, and now reigns with you in glory, hear the cry of your people. Have mercy on us, make us whole, and bring us at last into the fullness of your eternal life. Amen. Today we commemorate John Cassian. John Cassian struggled with the problems of living the Christian life in a time when the world seemed to be falling apart. In so doing, he laid the foundations for what would be the spirituality of the Western Church. Born in Romania around 365, Cassian traveled as a young man to a monastery in Bethlehem and later moved to Egypt, where he sought the two... where he sought the tutelage of the great founders of the ascetic movement of the desert, such as Antony and Macarius. At the heart of desert monasticism was the idea that the image of God in each person, tarnished by sin but not destroyed, yearns to, and has the capacity to, love God with the purity of heart with which God loves us. Their aim was to rid themselves of the anxieties and distractions that called their attention away from loving God. Cassian was initiated into this tradition before political pressures forced him to leave Egypt in about 399. He moved to southern Gaul and there founded a house for monks and later a house for women religious. Through Cassian, though Cassian's goal was, like his desert mentors, the perfection of the individual soul, he insisted that no one should embark on a monastic vocation alone. One should enter a house where other monks are pursuing the same goal, live according to a time-tested rule, and thereby gain the guidance and companionship of the community. Though Cassian remained committed to the desert ideal of individual perfection, 
His insistence on the necessity of Christian community and loving moderation was the basis for Benedictine monasticism, which eventually became the basic spirituality of the Western Church. It was perhaps a paradox that only in community could the Christian lose sight of earthly things in proportion to the inspiration of its purity so that, with the inner gaze of the soul, it sees the glorified Jesus coming in the splendor of his majesty. Holy and mighty one, whose beloved Son, Jesus Christ, blessed the pure in heart, we offer thanks for the life and teachings of John Cassian that draw us to a discipline of holy living for the sake of thy reign. Call us to turn the gaze of the eyes of our soul always toward thee, that we may abide in thy love, shown to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who with thee and the Holy Spirit is one God, living and true, to the ages of ages. Amen. I see that when I missed morning prayer yesterday, I missed Mary Magdalene. So I think I might go back tonight and say yesterday's um, daily office. We'll see if I praise God. God willing, I'll have the time to do that. So let's talk a little bit about our readings today. So I find this psalm problematic. Um, This is a... A wedding psalm. It's a psalm that probably, according at least to my commentary, was a song for the king's wedding to a foreign princess. It helps when we see it through the eyes of um, Jewish and Christian tradition where they see a messianic reference because it's a lot easier for me to talk about um, Christ being... the Lord and, and bowing to him. And, and although it certainly was the tradition of the day, um, it's tough for me to swallow the, the bride bowing to the groom as the Lord. Um, and I just, I just kind of struggle with it. I think that although it's less often quoted, it's, it's mistaking this sentiment that is part of the subjugation of, of women in our culture and society. And I think that we're ready to break free of this, you know. I think that in this particular context, there are two things to look at with this psalm. One is that it was giving the hi- highest praise known at the time, right? So very much in the context. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend lately about how words mean different things to different people. And, and um, what is a compliment to one person may not be a compliment to another. So here, you know, where the psalmist is, is speaking to the groom, to the bride, to the family, you know, to all these people, the things that the psalmist thinks are compliments um, and might very well have been in that time we might see a little bit differently now. And I have some really great real world examples. So my very, very favorite one (laughs) is my son, Jack, when he was about, oh gosh, he must've been like maybe four-ish and we're getting ready for church and I feel this tug on my pants leg and his sweet little face looks up at me and I say, yes, Jack. And he says, mommy, I am sweet and handsome. And I said, why, yes, Jack, of course you are. 
And he looks up at me and he gives what was the greatest compliment his four-year-old heart knew. And you are very beautiful. You look just like a swamp creature. (laughs) And in the context of his four-year-old life, a swamp creature was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I took that as a compliment and gave him a smooch. Out of context, that might have been seen as an insult. Our words very much need to be taken in the context of the person they are intended for. I have had a couple of conversations lately about prayers that when they're in the giver's context and not in the receiver's context. So like, let's say I'm praying with my friend, right? And my friend says to me, she's praying with me and, you know, she says, oh God, please send Jacob a man to lead her. Well, to me, that doesn't feel like a prayer. That feels like a curse. But to her and her life experience, that might be the greatest blessing that she could think of to ask God for me. And I don't want us to get so caught up that all we can do is pray God's will, which is a place that Jack and I have been before, where we felt like the only thing we could say is, God, your will and your will alone be done for this person. But I think what we need to do is prepare the prayer space, right? You guys know how big I am into preparing the prayer space. And then invite the Holy Spirit in to give us the words to pray. Because it's not through our own insight. It's not through our context. What might be the greatest blessing for us might not be the greatest blessing for that person. But God knows. And there will be times that we don't have the words. And we can be thankful that God does. The Holy Spirit has all the words. So we can say, I have no words, but I give the words to you. So let's just take this psalm as a blessing of the time. And perhaps a little bit of foretelling of the Messiah to come, who would be the ultimate bridegroom. And that too has been abused. I've had wonderful, wonderful friends, loving, um, forward-thinking people who have told me that that's why leaders in the church must always be male, because Christ is the bridegroom. And these leaders represent the bridegroom. And I mean, we get all caught up in this gender stuff. So let's just lay it aside. Take this psalm as a psalm of blessing and a beautiful anticipation of Christ's union with Christ's people. And let's remember to seek the guidance of God in all the words that we pray. For sometimes our hearts are pure and our intentions are good, but the way it morphs through our own filters comes out a little wrong. I pray for clarity and for unclogging of the filters. Amen. I think our Old Testament is a lesson in wisdom, and I love that it's a woman who's got the wisdom here. We'll see what happens next. But I have a feeling that if Nabal had just taken a second, then perhaps he would not have answered so hastily. If he had waited and sought wise counsel, I don't know whether or not, I don't remember, and I don't know if we find out, Nabal recognized his wife to be the wise woman that she was. But regardless, often, like Nabal, we rush into a hasty, reactive response instead of an intentional response. If we would just take a minute and seek wise counsel, and wise counsel to me, um, 
Well, we're not going to get way into the definition of wise counsel, but and seek wise counsel, then, then I think many crises could be averted. And this is actually something that both my son and I have been working on. Um, another cute uh, Jack saying is that he told his he told his therapist that he thinks his reactive nature might be hereditary. <laughs> And God bless him, I think that many of us have that in us. The way that it manifests might be different. You guys know I'm a pretty assertive and direct person, so the way it manifests in me can often be pretty direct, but it, it might manifest differently in you. It, it might be a, a complete, it might look completely different, but taking that time, and, and I guess this is what I want to say about wise counsel. The wisest counsel of all is God, right? But God also speaks through otherwise counselors in our lives. So it is wise to seek many sources of counsel. Right, so that's what I have to say about that one. And then um, our New Testament reading. Um, I love all the miracles and acts. And I think part of what I want to say is that miracles are alive and present with us today if we just have eyes to see them. And they are in and through many means. You know, they don't have to be sudden and they don't have to come out of nowhere. So I guess part of my prayer is for God to give us eyes to see the miracles that God is doing around us in the world today and to be heartened by them. Because often we say in a somewhat hopeless way, excuse me, pouring my coffee over here, that it would take a miracle, right? Well, God's got the miracles. And I think that, yes, it absolutely will take not just a miracle, but many miracles and the powerful and majestic hand of God working in our world to get today in and through us repeatedly in order to bring healing to the incredible brokenness, woundedness, and hurting that is going on in our world today. But God is up for the task. Let us enter into cooperation with God because we are often the conduit by which God reaches his world and by God does her world and and by which God does her miracles so let us be open pathways for those miracles and let us have eyes to see and describe them and eyes to see and words to describe I guess is what I'm trying to say but thanks for bearing with me so I think it's very interesting that Paul and Barnabas went and they were they were speaking in a way that opened people's minds right and was healing and then unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers there is often going to be that counteraction, and we must persevere through it. And often that counteraction leads to division, and it is our job, our calling, to be forces of reconciliation, not division. So as tempting as it is, and as much of human nature as it is to you know, think the enemy of my enemy is my friend and enter in on a side, it, no, it's our job to bridge the gap between the sides with compassion and understanding and to pray, to pray always and without ceasing. Laying semantics aside and seeking God. And then I think another important thing that our New Testament reading talks about is this in verse 15 
turn from these worthless things, idolatry, right? Because often when a human does something good, our human response is to idolize that human. And Paul and Barnabas are full of the humility of God or humility that comes from God. And they rebuke them and they say, idolatry is worthless. Turn instead to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet he has not left him, she has not left herself without a witness in doing good. And this is God's witness, okay? Giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food in your hearts with joy. And I think these are the everyday miracles that we need to see. And, and one of my dear friends would say that a way of recognizing this is by keeping a gratitude journal. Actually, many friends of mine say this. There's all kinds of of research on this. Another friend of mine um, brought up in response that there's neurological research showing that writing down things you are grateful for can actually rewire your brain for joy. And so I think that that is part of what the message the apostles are bringing us is to rewire our, our vision to see the miracles all around us and to see them as signs of God's love and God's work in us and to take heart and carry on God's mission. Amen. I think we could use that. (laughs) And finally, our gospel reading. So I really like this one. It's very clear to me here that when the author talks about there is nothing hidden except except to be disclosed, nor there is anything nor is anything secret except to come to light, this is not something that's used to shame people. Or, I mean, it shouldn't be. That it's not the intent. I have I've seen it used this way before. God knows all your secrets. They're going to come out eventually. No, that's not what this is about. This is about knowledge and understanding. God isn't hiding things except to disclose them in God's time and through God's purpose and through God's good. And nothing is secret. Again, God's not keeping secrets from us except to come to light. God is a God of revelation, not a God of secrecy and hiding things. So what this is talking about is understanding. That God's position on understanding is to give it to us, not to keep it from us. And then all the next verses in 24 and 25, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get and still more will be given you. Understanding. This is about understanding. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. It's understanding. We're talking again about opening our minds to God. And and in, in this case, I would say too, you know, you know me in my preparing this prayer space and the enemy is the great mimic. Be careful that the understanding you're giving is to God. And I don't mean that in a way like be afraid and don't pray certain things to God because the devil's going to snatch them and use them against you. I don't mean any of that. I don't mean to instill fear. I just mean to instill intentionality that we prepare our prayer space. We set ourselves up to enter into a safe space with God and God alone and to listen to God's voice above all other voices, to quiet the other voices, both of the enemy and our world and our internal voices, and to listen to God. The point here is about understanding. The more we give, the more we invest, 
the more we will get. And I think the next two metaphors about the harvest and the mustard seed speak to God taking and multiplying with God's math that is far greater than math, right? All, all that we give to God. So if we put forth this little effort to gain understanding, God will take it and multiply it. If we make of ourselves fertile ground for God to plant the seed of faith and we welcome the seed, the seed will grow into a huge sheltering, nourishing bush. And so God uses parables as part of God's way of explaining in a way that people can understand, in a way that they can hear. And then to the disciples, God explains everything in private. So there are two layers of understanding here. And I think we can rest assured that God meets us wherever we are. And sometimes we feel like it stretches us. We have to remember that with others too. Like we're not all at the same place at the same time. We cannot all communicate to each other in the same way, by the same method, and at the same depth of understanding. And it's not that someone is, is lesser or more, or someone is wiser or less wise, is that we are on every... Every different subject, we are in different places. None of us know everything. All of us know something. Let us just allow our godly understanding to be growing in us. Let us make fertile ground for God and God alone to plant the seeds of understanding. Sometimes I feel like we're so closed off to understanding that we have like this, our fields become full of rocks and clay and they're not good for growing much. Let us till the soil of our spaces so that God's understanding can grow and that we can meet each other with love and compassion instead of hardness. To the glory of God, amen. All right, so that's um, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. And I think I'm going to close us with a prayer for mission taken from St. Francis and a final verse, and then we'll be getting on our way today. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. We live without fear, for our Creator has made us holy, has always protected us, and loves us as a good mother loves her children. We go now in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with us always. Amen.